Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hawking Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. These two words that, that trigger a lot for me. I don't know if you've ever been in a season like that where one or two words or a phrase will just mean so much and, and cause you to reflect uh, so much. And even in the last few sermons, Pastor Dave has mentioned these two words. Um, and the words are not enough. And it all started uh, a few months ago. My beautiful wife, Yvonne, was able to go to a, a leadership conference. And she heard this woman, Brene Brown, who's a writer and speaker. And she gave a talk at this conference. And Yvonne was so moved by the talk that she went out and bought her book called Daring Greatly. And she started reading the book and just kept sharing insights with me and just said, you got to read this book. And eventually I bought the book myself and started reading it. And God has used it to really mess with me um, and really speak to me along this theme of not enough. And I want to begin by sharing this quote that really has struck me deeply. And it stood with me for a while. And she's referencing another author Uh, from her research, Uh, but this is about our struggle as a culture with not enough. And she says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is I didn't get enough sleep. How many of you woke up this morning and thought that I didn't get enough sleep? The next one is I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours in the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. By the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that reverie of lack. And this internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. It really is amazing. If you let that sit with you for a while, in a country like ours, a land of plenty, we really do struggle with scarcity in so many ways. And I've been realizing how often I live out of this place of not enough. How often do you hear someone say, there are just too many hours in the day? Why can't the days be shorter? I've never, ever once heard someone say that. But the the repeating chorus of there's not enough time is sung constantly throughout our culture. I'm too busy. There's not enough time. I don't have enough hours in the day to get everything done. I need to. How often do you hear someone say, I just got way too much money? Why can't I just have less money? 
For the, those of you who recently graduated college or high school and you, you got your first real job and your first real paycheck, when that came in, you're amazed at how much money you have. That first paycheck, you feel like you are rich and on top of the world. And then you realize that you got bills to pay. You got rent. You got insurance. You got auto payments, auto maintenance, and it just goes on and on. And suddenly, that paycheck that once seemed so large is quickly not enough. A few months ago, my younger brother called me up and uh, we were talking and then he changed the conversation and started asking me about my hair. And he was saying, you know, I've, I've been realizing that my hairline is receding and my hair is getting a little bit thinner. And he said to me, I always thought since you're older, you'd be the first one to go bald. So he's like, how is your hair doing? And I laughed, I brushed it aside, and I thought, it stinks to be you. But then over time, I began looking in the mirror a little bit more. I said, wait a minute, my hairline is not where it used to be five years ago. And you know when you get your hair cut, guys, like they get your hair all wet? And when your hair gets wet, it gets so thin. And I'm realizing my hair is fading away. Sorry, Dan, I, f- I feel bad sharing this <laughs> illustration. <laughs> you make it look good, though. But a-, a year ago, I never worried about going bald. But once that seed of scarcity is planted in there, it's amazing how quickly it takes over. And so even this week, I was going out to buy shampoo. And, you know, they have all these labels on the shampoo bottles now. And they have a label called Refresh. So if you're tired and worn out, this will refresh you. And I grabbed the bottle, Hair Endurance for Men. (laughs) And it gives me hope that my hair will make it to the end. And that's the one I bought. I want to go back to this quote. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor... We're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. Brene Brown says, we get scarcity because we live scarcity. And I believe scarcity has become such a normal way for us to live. And we don't realize how epidemic it has become. But here's the good news in our struggle with scarcity. Our God is not a God of scarcity. Our God is not a God of lack. Our God is not a God of not enough. But he's a God of abundance and fullness. And even Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come to give them life and life to the fullest, to the fullest. I believe God wants to break the shackles of scarcity in us and show us that there is life that is more than enough in him. So this morning we're going to look at Philippians 3 and talk about what it means to be more than enough. 
When I say more than enough, it's beyond our material possessions, our stuff. It's more about who we are and what we choose to pursue in our lives. If I had to choose a favorite passage of Scripture in all the Bible, it would be Philippians chapter 3. This passage came, to, came alive to me in my college years. And Paul is writing about his story, his life before Christ, and all the things he held on to, and how he struggled with scarcity and covering up his lack, and how Jesus changes everything. So we're going to begin by looking at verses 3 to 6 in Philippians 3. We're going to see the ways that Paul covered up his not enough. It says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul here is responding to certain religious leaders of the day who were leading people astray and telling them they needed to be circumcised. Uh, The message translation puts it this way for verses 1 and 2. Paul says, "Steer, Steer clear the barking dogs. Those religious busybodies all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearance, appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. Knife-happy circumcisers, I love that. These knife-happy circumcisers were telling people that faith in Jesus is not enough. It wasn't legitimate unless they got circumcised. And Paul says, no, no, no. We put no confidence In the flesh. And the flesh refers to any time we trust ourselves. We trust our own works, our religious efforts, our own goodness, and believe that is enough. We rule God out of the whole equation. And Paul goes on to confess all the ways that he used to live this way. The ways that he used to put confidence in the flesh. Verse 5, it says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the elite tribes of Israel. And Paul was saying his ethnic and spiritual lineage is is top-notch. Then he says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, the Pharisees were one of the strictest clubs of upholding the law. He was part of one of the elite religious groups. Then he says, as for zeal persecuting the church, he was so passionate about his faith in the law that he would attack those on the outside. You know, when someone comes to me and tells me that they're both a Bears fan and a Packer fan, I'm like, you're not a real fan you got to be kidding me. You can't be both if you're a real fan. You're either one or the other. If you love one, 
you've learned to despise the other. I totally respect Bear fans that don't like the Packers. I totally get it. And this is what Paul was doing. He was so passionate about Judaism that he was willing to put to death all the Christians that would oppose it. And then he ends, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Morally perfect on the outside. I mean, what more can you say, Paul? What more can you argue? But all these things are props for Paul. They're confidences in the flesh to esteem himself, to build himself up to look like he is enough. And we're just like Paul. We all use props in our lives to cover up our feeling of not being enough. A prop is something that will protect us. A prop will perform for us. A prop will allow us to show up in, in front of the world as looking like we're good enough. Let me give you an example of a prop from my own life, and I'm not really, I'm not proud of this. But early on in my years of ministry, uh, I've gotten better with this over time. I would dread when someone would ask me a simple and normal question, what do you do for a living? I never like getting that question. I, I, I have to ask other pastors if they like that question or not. But I would answer it, you know, I'm a pastor, and then I would put on my prop. I would say, I'm a pastor, but I used to be a software engineer. Because for me, I'm just thinking like, I don't know what they think of a pastor. They might not think it's good enough. So I'm going to cover my basis and use my previous career as a prop to show up as good enough for the world. And there's all different kinds of props that we use to cover up. We can use our family background. If we came from a successful family, we can use that as a prop to perform for us. We can use our education, you know, what school we attended, our GPA, I was summa cum laude. We can use our job, our job title. Anytime you mention your job title, you have to be aware, are you using that as a prop to cover up? We can use our income. Most of us probably won't say how much we make, but we hint at how much we might make. We can use our looks, our stuff. I think for those of us who have kids, we can use our kids as a prop to cover up our lack. And even spiritually, we can use props. Like I've been reading the Bible for 20 years, so you better believe I'm spiritually mature. Or you can use how many mission trips you've gone on, or your title, I'm a deacon at our church. None of our deacons would do that. But we use props to fight against our scarcity and cover up our feeling of not being enough. And even Paul, in verse 7, he acknowledges that these were gains for him. Let's be honest. We don't get rid of these props very easily because they provide benefit and security for us. They're not easy to shed. Yet in the end, these props 
will fail us. So let me ask you a question. What are your props that you hide behind to prove yourself to the world, to fight against your feeling of not being enough? As we move on now in the passage, we're going to see the change in Paul. We're going to see how Jesus changes everything and how we can move from not being enough with all these props to enough in him. So the next point I want to make is that Christ is more than enough for us. And I love these verses in 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul came to the point in his life, he's not only aware of his props, but he realized that they were worthless compared to a greater prize. Paul says that the things that were gains to him are now a loss. And in fact, garbage, completely worthless to him. The reason why we don't lay down our props so easily is that we keep forgetting the greater prize. Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. God's word here is reminding us that he is worth it. That Jesus Christ is worth it. He is worth everything. And his worth surpasses everything else that we can chase after and pursue. You know, I grew up in the church all my life. And I was a nice, religious church-going boy. At a young age, I had a good sense of right and wrong, and I believed in God. But it wasn't until college that I really understood what Christianity is all about. I, I remember the night very clearly. I was in our small group freshman year, and we were studying Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, which is really the story of two wayward sons, and a radically loving father. And as we're getting into the passage, and we were talking about the older son, who was always near to the father. It really, it struck me that night. God hit me very hard that all my life, I was like the older son. You see, I despised the fact that other people could go out and party and have fun and live it up. And yet I had to be this good, religious church boy. I was near to God on the outside, but in my heart, I was so far away. I was religious, yes. I was good, yes. Morally good, yes. But realizing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, not yet. 
And God began to work deeply in me, showing me that all my good, moral, and religious efforts were worthless if it didn't start with a relationship with Jesus Christ and truly knowing him and loving him and worshiping him. And God began a revolution in my heart and in my life. I began to see that knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that I could give my life to. And it changed everything for me. It changed my ambitions. It changed my priorities. It changed how I defined success. And eventually changed my career. When, when is the last time that you found Christ to be of such a worthwhile pursuit? To be more than enough is the chief goal in your life. You see, knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest gift and privilege for each one of us. Jesus is worth more than anything else. And for those of you who have never experienced it, you got to start. you got to begin building a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have lost that, we've experienced it in the past, we need to return to that first priority, that everything else is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and like any relationship, knowing Christ requires an investment. And I was thinking about my own relationship with Christ these days and what are the ways that I'm going to make an investment in that relationship. And here's a few things, I think, to build any relationship you need. You need time together. Um, and it's not all about quiet times and devotions, but I think that's a good place to start. Uh, but knowing that investing in your relationship with Christ can happen throughout the day. But you need time together. And you need to be attentive and present during that time. Your heart needs to be in it. And you need to interact and communicate. My wife and I, we can go on a date night and have a nice dinner. But if we don't talk we don't interact, we're not growing our relationship. And you've heard it many times, but the scriptures and prayer are two of the big tools we have to invest in our relationship with Christ. It's not about duty and discipline, it's about that relationship with Christ. Paul says a few verses later, I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is saying no matter what, no matter what, in the depth of suffering, the joy of resurrection and new life, I want to know Christ. When we get to that place of no matter what, all the excuses that we use will quickly fade away. Christ is more than enough for us. And the last point I want to make this morning is that we are more than enough in Christ. We are more than enough 
in Christ. And I just want to look at the, the end of verse 8 right here. It says, all these things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That small little phrase right there is, I think it's easy to miss, but it's huge. To be found in him. Paul is saying that before Christ, he would be found as an elite Hebrew, a Pharisee, a zealot, faultless in the law. But now all these props have been removed. He is found in Christ. His identity is now wrapped up in being united in a relationship with Jesus. And that is more than enough. You notice there's no lengthy list of things now. It's just to be found in him. In Christ, those are two small words, but it's a powerful truth. It involves our identity and security. That we belong to Jesus and we're secure because of him. And we struggle with this. We struggle to remember our identity in Christ. And we have to remember we have an adversary who is constantly attacking our identity. The enemy is telling us that we're not enough. He loves to bring shame and condemnation. He loves to destroy and steal the life that God wants for us. One Christian author, Stacy Eldred, she talks about this struggle, and she's writing to women, but I think this quote applies to men too. She says, I know I'm not alone in this nagging sense of failing to measure up, a feeling of not being good enough as a woman. Every woman I've met feels it, something deeper than just a sense of failing at what she does, an underlying gut feeling at failing at who she is. I am not enough, and I'm too much at the same time. Not pretty enough, not thin enough, not kind enough, not gracious enough, not disciplined enough. But too emotional, too needy, too sensitive, too strong, too opinionated, too messy. And the result is shame. The enemy loves to use shame to tell us that we're not enough. And I think most of us are, are afraid that when we strip away all those props that we hide behind, that we will be left exposed. Exposed as weak, ugly, incompetent, worthless. Yet we have to come back to our identity we have to come back to the truth that we are found in Christ. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are sought after. We are pursued. We are cherished. We are strong. We are unbelievably worthwhile to him. Only in Christ can we find our wholeness our peace, our belovedness, our security. 
When we live out of this place of being more than enough in Christ, it will begin to wash away all the ways that we punish ourselves with shame and condemnation and retelling the lie that we are not enough. Paul goes on to say that he used to seek righteousness through his own strength and following the law. But now he realizes that righteousness can only come through faith in Christ. We need to stop putting our trust in the props we often use to hide our scarcity. We need to reclaim our identity that we are in Christ. And it all comes down to faith. Will we believe what God has said about us is true? That we are found in him. When we are found in Christ, that means that we are more than enough. If you struggle with this lie that you are not enough, I want to just give you a simple prayer that you can pray just as a reclaiming the promise of who you are in Christ. And it, you can use either of these forms or you can modify it for yourself. But even this week, if this is a struggle for you to begin praying these prayers and to ask God that you not only pray them, but that you would begin to believe them. I am more than enough in Christ. Or I am found in Christ. When a situation comes up and you're, you're struggling in that feeling of shame or that you are not enough, reclaim your identity, that you are more than enough in Jesus. You are found in Christ. I'm going to wrap it up now. But this week, I, I want to encourage you to really look at your life and begin to realize all the ways that you live scarcity and this idea of not enough. We were driving through our neighborhood the other night and noticing all the Christmas lights in our neighborhood. And I, I said to Yvonne, I don't feel like we have enough lights put up outside. And what, right away I recognized it. It's the language of scarcity. Or even for me, I was thinking about this week, when, you know, at a restaurant, you're ordering drinks, and I often order water, probably because I'm cheap and... But, and I like to drink water. But I'll, I'll say to the waitress, just water. When you use that word just, I mean, I'm feeling bad. I'm not ordering more. I'm not ordering enough. So I say just water. Pay attention to the language of scarcity that you use. And I think we have to get real about our props. All the things we use to cover up we feel like we're not enough in ourselves. Uh, we're putting confidence in things that will fail us, uh, that will not last. We're just masking our scarcity, our lack. And begin before God to recognize those props and lay them down before him. And let's remember 
who is of surpassing worth. Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. I really believe you will not regret every time you say yes to pursuing a relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is the best thing we have going for us. Can I get an amen? And if you struggle, if you're not at a place where, man, God, I've never experienced you to be of surpassing worth, I think you've got to acknowledge that before him. And to be honest, God, I haven't felt that way about you, yet your word says that it's true. Can you help me begin to see that you are of surpassing worth? And for those of you that struggle with feeling like you're not enough, and this has been part of my story for 30 plus years of feeling like I'm not enough. I want to ask you right now uh, to be courageous. As Brene Brown would say, to dare greatly. to Take a step of vulnerability. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer. And if you're struggling feeling like you're not enough, and you recognize that's a problem for you, and you want God to begin to rebuild that you are enough in him, I want to invite you just to stand up where you're at. And as I pray, I mean, this is just a step of you acknowledging before God this feeling, this lie of not enough, and asking God, God, would you begin to change it? Would you begin to help me to believe that I'm enough in Christ? So stand up now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth uh, that we need so badly. Uh, God, we live in a culture that has so many messages to us. And we're often so unaware of the things we begin to believe and to live. And so we thank you, God, that your word speaks into our needs, into our lack It reminds us who you are, God, that you are of surpassing worth to build our lives upon. It reminds us who we are in you, God. That we are your beloved. That you love us with an everlasting love. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are more than conquerors because of your love for us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing up right now. And I pray for myself. God, we acknowledge that too often we live out of this place that we're not enough. We see all our weaknesses, all our shortcomings, all our inadequacies. We begin to believe the enemy's lies, that we are worthless, that we are incompetent, that we are weak, that we are ugly. And God, I pray in this moment right now that you would rebuild us, that you would remake us through the power of your spirit. And you would remind us right now, God, that you would help us to believe in our hearts that we are enough in Christ. 
we are your beloved sons and daughters. We are citizens of your kingdom. We have a great eternity and future ahead of us. God, help us to lay our props before you, to trust you alone, that you are enough for us. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, who is of surpassing worth. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.